That's right. The cover of the book that Rob is specifically speaking of is the very cleverly named DC's Nuclear Winter Special. Hey, I you think got that, it on the first take there. <laughs> supposedly. I don't know. I probably still got it wrong. My, even my wife thought the name of the book was clever. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. There is uh, DC's published two Christmas specials this year. One was in Walmart, which is a more traditional superhero one, which you can hear about, by the way, over on the Fortress of Bailey 2 coming up soon. And the other was DC's Nuclear, I think I said it wrong, winter special <laughs> that uh, you could get in comic book shops. And that's the one we're going to be touching on today because, believe it or not, there is a Firestorm and Aquaman story in here. How insane is that? Hey, they wanted to move some copies. That's right. Well, being called the Nuclear Winter special, it's almost like they couldn't not have a Firestorm story in there. You know, it's like they had to have either Firestorm or Captain Adam. And it just makes more sense for Firestorm because he is the nuclear man. And he's also on a TV show. He is? What TV show would that be? You know. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not on a TV show. What are you talking about? He's on Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> and Rob has just showed his hand about how Is he not on that show? I thought he was. For a year now. Oh, oops. Okay. Oh, all right. I don't want to go into the specifics of it, but he had a very definitive end. Let's just oh, well, yeah, I've not, I'm not. I'm I'm a little behind on my watching of that show. <laughs> hey, did you know Barry Allen's The Flash, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Jason so, uh, Todd Robin is dead. What? 
Before we get too much further into this special and Rob reveals more secrets about himself, why don't we take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this holiday episode is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What do you have, my uh, ho-ho-ho friend? You didn't know where you were going when you started. I did that. not know. I was trying yeah. to come up with something. Yeah. No, you you had no landing on that one. Uh, yeah, my 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 pick is Fantastic Four. Behold, Galactus hardcover. Oh, that old holiday special. Which reprint? Stop it. Which reprints? <laughs> which which collects Fantastic Four numbers forty eight through fifty, seventy four through seventy seven, one twenty through one twenty three, two forty two through two forty four, and so forth. All different Galactus stories spanning the forty year history of the Fantastic Four. What makes this special uh, is that it is printed at thirteen and a half by twenty one and a quarter. This thing is a massive book. Is that treasury uh, size almost? That is beyond treasury size. Treasury oh, wow. side treasury side is ten by thirteen. This is thirteen by twenty one and a half. I don't know where anybody's gonna store this thing. I guess next to your Wednesday comics hardcover. Uh, <laughs> the uh, page count is three hundred and twelve. Normal price is fifty dollars, but in stock trades price is twenty nine dollars. That is forty two percent off. This is an amazing looking book. And some of you may be wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? Nothing. My, my, da- my dad used to read this to me every Christmas Eve. Right. Yeah. This has this book has nothing to do with Christmas except for the fact that I want it and I hope somebody gets it for me for Christmas. So <laughs> The link will be provided in the show notes. <laughs> it is the spirit for giving, apparently. <laughs> I sure hope it is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that, there you go. Uh, that's a great pick, Rob. <laughs> I, I wish I'd used your methodology for picking a book. Anyway, uh, I have picked something a little more uh, involved with what we're going to cover today. I have picked Jingle Bell, or uh, yeah, Jingle Bell Whole Package Trade Paperback, written by Paul Dini, with art by Jose Garibaldi and a bunch of other folks, including Stephanie Bushima. And this is, uh, it's by IDW. And if you're not familiar with it, Paul Dini has created this character named Jingle Bell. And she is, I don't want to say she's cut from the same cloth as, as Harlequin, but she's, again, she's, she's as they describe here, madcap. She's saucy. She's uh, full of fun and mirth. And I actually, I'll be straight up and say, I haven't read this, but a friend of mine is a huge fan of these. In fact, he has a statue of her on his, his bookshelf. And this thing is 340 pages. Again, you know it's written by Paul Dini, so you know it's amazing. It's got lots of super, super fun art, and it's fun and funny. And uh, 340 pages, full color, normally retails for $29.99. You can get it for 30% off, so it's only $20.99 for 340 pages of Paul Dini goodness in the holiday spirit. And she's kind of hot, so it's like it's a win-win right there, you know? That's a great Christmas present to yourself, or apparently you could buy one for me, I I guess is how we're doing this now. I regret nothing. (laughs) Well, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, folks, please visit InStockTrades.com. Calm. All right. So, yes, we were very excited to hear the announcement of this. Actually, when, when they first announced it, we didn't realize there was a Firestorm Aquaman story in it. This thing kind of went under the radar. Didn't even realize it until Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway started posting pictures to his Twitter of pencils of him drawing Firestorm in a Christmas story. We're like, what? What? We have to cover that. We were so excited because it seems like if you look back at the history of this year in the Firewater Pod, the Aquaman and Firestorm Firewater Podcast, it's just been Aquaman episode, Aquaman episode, Aquaman episode. Oh, look, we'll mention Firestorm. Aquaman episode, Aquaman, Aquaman. So we said, thank goodness this special is coming out. We can finally do a Firestorm-themed issue episode. We can talk about the nuclear man. It could be all Firestorm all the time. And then Rob sent me a message. He goes, oh, by the way, Aquaman's in there too. (laughs) 
<sighs> so we're he is talk- a movie star, Shag. So we're going to talk about some guy. Yeah, but he didn't make the cover, which is interesting. Well, you neither know? did Firestorm. Well, true, but you've got a movie. You know, I mean, I get Harlequin being there. I get Batman being there. I get Wonder Woman being there. But Commandy, really? Instead of Aquaman? That's kind of a shocker. Yeah, I like the cover a lot. I think it's it's a very it's a very attractive looking cover. But I am sort of weirded out as why I, neither Aquaman or Firestorm are on it. That seems a little strange to me. But you know, yeah. whatever. I got really excited because in the credits on the inside cover, they actually list the Aquaman story and the Firestorm story like they're together. And, I'm, and I start to look up the editor's name. I'm like, do we know this guy? Did he do this on purpose? There's actually a Supergirl story in the middle of it, but the, yeah. the credits list them together, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful cover. Um, in the, it is by Yannick Penchichetti and uh, Nathan Fairbarn, but maybe. Yeah, I killed that, didn't I? Anyway, it's a nice little cover. I like it. It's fun. You should look it up online, folks. In fact, we'll have an image gallery. We'll put that up there. Yeah, so, com, of course. There you, oh, look at you. You did your job for once. All right, so let's just, you know, this is really going to be a Firestorm episode. I'm barely going to let Rob talk about Aquaman, seriously, because it's only fair. Uh, so why don't we just, why don't you do the Aquaman segment? Let's get it out of the way, and then let's talk about Firestorm. Yeah, uh, the Aquaman story is uh, <laughs> Where the Light Cannot Reach by uh, Marguerite Scott, Dexter Soy, Veronica Gandini, and Steve Wands. Um, uh, it's uh, three years from now. On a distant mountain range, two scientists are on a mission with world-shaking implications. They are searching for the former king of the Seven Seas, Aquaman, and when they feel a weathered trident poking them in the chest, they realize they have found him. Aquaman demands to know why these two surface dwellers are here. They tell him that they were researching a microorganism that can feed off radiation. Then the bombs fell, and now the organism is buried deep in the ocean, and they need the Sea King to find it. With three-fourths of the Earth now uninhabitable, this microorganism is now more important than ever before. Aquaman lately scoffs at the idea. It seems so remote and far-fetched, but he agrees to it anyway. Heading into the ocean depths, the Sea King is greeted by all sorts of sea life, horribly mutated by nuclear radiation, like a two-headed shark that does not respond to his commands. Aquaman remarks that he used to hear everything that went on in the Seven Seas, but now it is mostly eerily quiet. Aquaman finds the organism a tiny glop of glowing mud. He laughs at the idea something so humble might be the thing that saves so many lives, but nevertheless he places some of it in the backpack he brought along. On his way out, he is greeted by a shark, a non-mutated, seemingly normal shark that has somehow survived. Remarking on this glimmer of hope, Aquaman heads for the surface. And that's it. That's the whole story. It's sort of uh, just almost like a prologue to what would be maybe a larger story. But uh, that's, that's the whole eight pages of Where the Light Cannot Reach. You know, we should have said, by the way, that the, the whole book is framed around this concept concept that the earth has pretty much been destroyed in atomic wars there's been uh nuclear bombs dropped everywhere radi- the whole planet's pretty much radiated in every story it's telling a different time period and a different take and a different character but that core concept has stayed the same is that we're in the, the nuclear fallout the nuclear winter and so that's where the aquaman story comes in which by the way if it's only three years why has he got white hair and a white beard well, like he's an you, old man you live, you live through nuclear blasts it's probably gonna age you pretty quickly too yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Do you notice uh, the color gloves he's wearing? What do you mean? Look at his gloves. They're green. Are they, though? Look at them compared to his pants color. All right, but they're more yellowish green, but they're still green. That's green. I think they're a dirty yellow. I no. think he's got dirty yellow gloves. I think they did this for you, sir. I, I, okay. I think they're green, but fine. Okay. That's fine. I, Whatever. I'm trying to be nice here. I'm trying to give you a Christmas present. Look at this. I'm oh, trying wow. to tell you it's the Earth 2 Aquaman. You, <gasps> want to give me, you know, you want to give me a Christmas present. I have an idea. Um, 
Now, I overall, I thought this was a a perfectly fine story. I didn't find it like terribly remarkable. I thought the artwork was was fine. Um, obviously, beardy, long haired Aquaman is certainly trying to tie into something else going on with with the character. Um, I, my I my thing with this whole special is I just feel like trying to do a Christmas special wrapped in all your characters of seeing what they were like after a nuclear devastation is that to me, that's a tough sell. That's a really <laughs> tough sell. And I just found, and we're not going to get into the other stories in the book, except for Firestorm, of course, I found the whole notion of this thing just kind of downbeat and sort of sad. And I'm like, why, why are we doing this? Why, why is it a nuclear winter special? Um, so I will get into it in the Firestorm story, but I just don't, I feel like this story it's it's such a small fragment of a story. I mean, it's like, hey, go find this glob. Okay, I will. Hey, I did. The end. That, you know, it, they're just, I know there just isn't a whole lot here. I'm certainly glad that Aquaman is here. And I like the idea that uh, I think that the notion of that the blast has killed so much of the ocean that it's eerily quiet. Like, I like that idea because, of course, the ocean is teeming with life. And if you can hear that, it must be like a, having a, being at a rock concert 24 um, 7. Mm-hmm. So I like that idea that it's quiet and then, the, you know, that the, the, the radiation has affected the, the um, creatures of the sea so bad that they don't even listen to their king anymore. Uh, but overall, I just kind of was like, all right, this, this was fine. And I just moved on to the next thing. See, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it because it reminds me, first of all, the Aquaman version here reminds me a lot of the Peter David version of Aquaman. Yes. He's very much like when they find him in the cave, in fact, that right after the first couple issues. He's just – he's angry. He looks a little bit like him too at this point sure with the does. long hair and the beard before he got the metal shirt. In those first few issues by Peter David, he's angry. He doesn't want to talk to these people. He doesn't want to be bothered. And then by the end – I love the bit where he finds the uh, the microbes that, that eat radiation, and he meets the shark. Mm-hmm. And the shark is not savage. The shark talks to him. Right. He has a conversation with the shark. So he's like, oh, this works. And you say there's not much of a story here, but I see it as a story of giving Aquaman hope. It, is That's what's happened here. I think the radi- he finds the radiation – or the radiation-eating organ organism, I should say, and it actually makes him laugh really heartily because it's it's not going to be Superman. It's not going to be Wonder Woman that saves the day, but a bit of slime at the bottom of the right. sea. Right. And he's just he's, – it gives him hope, and I, I like that aspect. I think it tells a nice little story. All right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, and I should have mentioned also, by the way, in, in addition to the nine different stories that are here, there is a framing device of Rip Hunter telling some mutants uh, of the future all these stories as he's trying to make peace with them. I should have mentioned that too. And um, yeah, it, I guess the premise really comes from like kind of a commandy thing because, you know, the, the great disaster – was something that DC used to do a lot with. What, sure, uh, of course. There was, there was, what, OMAC and Commandy and a few other ones that dealt with the Great Disaster, the Atomic Knights, I think. And so uh, that's it's kind of all a nod to that. So, I mean, that's I, I think there's nothing wrong with the concept. And some of the stories really, really work, and some of them don't necessarily. The one we're about to talk about really, really, really works. Yes, we'll get into that. Okay. So, folks, we're done with the Aquaman part of the story. It is now the fire of the Fire and Water podcast, which you really came here, what you paid your money for. It is time to talk about Firestorm. Boy, it's been a long time. So this is Firestorm, and the story is called Last Christmas, written by Paul Dini. Yeah. Artist Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway. Oh, my gosh. So exciting. Actually, so when I posted that there was going to be a Paul Dini and Jerry Ordway story in this special, I had people writing, on, writing online saying, this is already my favorite Firestorm story in 10 years. 
just based on the creative team. Couldn't believe it. Uh, Colors is by Dave McCraig. Uh, letters by Dave Sharp. And it's uh, only eight pages, but man, it pack a lot in. So, And also, uh, in all fairness, in order to really get everything you can out of this, this story, you really should watch and prepare by uh, watching the Justice League action cartoon, specifically the episode called Nuclear Family Values, which was also written by Paul Dini, by the way. This is pretty much just a sequel to it. You don't have to read it to enjoy it, but it certainly adds a lot to the experience. So, as the story opens, it's several decades into the future, and the United States, or possibly even the world, is a nuclear wasteland. Uh, man, they really packed the word nuclear in this. It's like it's like a landmine, land, what, what do you call it, a minefield for me? So, bear with me, folks, so I keep screwing up. So, uh, nuclear, the nuclear skirmishes have rendered some areas, go shut up, uh, rendered some areas completely uninhabitable. Uh, and our story opens as our favorite nuclear man, Firestorm, flies towards an old abandoned amusement park, which we are probably supposed to assume is Disney World or Disneyland. And the radiation at the park has made it off limits. But Firestorm has no trouble with this at all because he can absorb the excess radiation. Now, by the way, this uh, specific version of Firestorm is the configuration of Firestorm with Ronnie Raymond in charge and Professor Stein as the advisor. And he's wearing a slightly altered version of his uh, later New 52 costume. And so the puffy sleeves still aren't there. However, for the first time in a long, long time, we've got pointy shoulder pads, folks. We have pointy shoulder pads back at last. Very exciting. So are, you're supposed to be cheering, Rob. I, I don't know where your excitement or your enthusiasm is. What's up, what's up with that? You told me to be quiet. <sighs> okay. So our hero is dispatched to this amusement park by the remaining fellow uh, Justice League members to investigate the growing atomic signature within the park. There, Firestorm finds the robotic villains called the Nuclear Family. They have taken up residence and are celebrating the Christmas season. The Nuclear Family, if you're not uh, familiar with them, consists of these robots that are patterned after a 1950s-style family with dad, mom, Biff, Sis, Brat, and Dog. It's a very, very Leave it to Beaver kind of family. And so Firestorm comes down, and in a shocking, shocking turn of events for a superhero comic, instead of fighting, as Firestorm confronts the Nuclear Family, they just talk. It's crazy. Who does that? Uh, it turns out that Firestorm has encountered the Nuclear Family previously, and they sort of understand each other. So the dad, who just goes by dad, who's the patriarch of the nuclear family, he explains that the family is running out of elect uh, power they're, because they're robots. They're suffering from glitches, and they will likely be dead or deactivated by New Year's. The family then surprises Firestorm. They they uh, jump him, basically. They clasp him, clasp him in some kind of device, which knocks our hero unconscious. Now, while he's unconscious, we're treated to a very nice scene inside inside Firestorm's head. Uh, it's sort of like on the astral plane or like the mental plane of existence, where Firestorm and Professor Stein are having a uh, you know just a nice time in Stein's astral library or like his office. You can actually see the whole setting. We see their full bodies, not just their floating heads. It's a very neat perspective. You don't see that often with Firestorm. And Stein offers to share some Hanukkah cheer with Ronnie. Uh, and at about that moment, though, our hero wakes, awakes, realizing that he's been unconscious for hours. The nuclear family has strung him up, and they're attempting to turn Ronnie into a living nuclear bomb so that they can go out with a literal bang. Uh, Ronnie's very clever, turns the tables, using his understanding of science in order to break free and avoid exploding. Then, once again, instead of fighting, Firestorm just talks with them. He pours them all a drink, and they all toast to the family and working through their differences, just in time for the entire nuclear family to wind down at the last moment and they can all die together in peace. Ronnie perfectly timed the whole thing to ensure they'd go out together. And as Professor Stein notes, Ronnie's strengths really are his head and his heart. And we end with a happy holidays from Professor Stein. 
What do you think of this one, buddy? I love this story. I absolutely love the story. And this is – I wanted to get at this when I was talking about the Aquaman story is that to me, um, if you're setting all your stories in a post-nuclear wasteland, um, to me you need some level of kind of dark humor or wit or at the least, or at the very least some sort of like joie de vivre kind of adventure tone. To offset that, otherwise, to me, it's just depressing because you've the, 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 we're already living in a world where there's been a nuclear devastation. Right. I don't. I don't need more grimness piled on top of that because it's already <laughs> grim. The world is. I mean, like in the Aquaman story, they've already told us three fourths of the Earth is uninhabitable. Okay, I, I don't need any more bad news. That's bad enough. But I loved that. You know, yeah, this Firestorm story takes place in that world, but yet it's soup. It's dark humor. I mean, this story is meant to be funny. Yeah, and it is throughout the whole thing. I absolutely love this thing. It is one of my favorite Firestorm stories I've ever read. I, I love it. It's one of the best ones in years, without a doubt. It might might be the best standalone Firestorm story since Jerry Conway was writing the book in the eighties. I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. Re- I, I mean, of course, it does not hurt. In fact, it helps to be drawn by Jerry Ordway. Yeah, uh, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. He's one of your favorite artists of all time. He's one of everybody's favorite artists of all time. He sets his style is perfect for this story because his style is very realistic you know as superhero comics can get of course but i mean that fits perfectly with the setting which is just in a living room in a bedroom you know it's this sort of normal there's not a lot of super heroic stuff going on outside of firestorm's powers but you have these regular villains or whatever the, you know the nuclear family looks like they look i just thought this was just great from the beginning it felt like a like a twilight zone um, mm, kind of I story, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you take out the Firestorm part, it really this could be the kind of thing where you realize, oh, at the end, oh my God, they were they've been robots all along, and then you have this kind of really dark ending where Firestorm chooses to wrap everything up at the right moment, where everybody freezes, which is creepy as all get out. Uh, I I just it's thought this, I just thought this well, I mean, but the idea that like they don't know that their end is coming mm. right at the moment that it happens is to me creepy. Um, I just thought this was a complete winner i was i was like okay this even if the aquaman there were no, there was no aquaman story in this this would be worth getting just for this i thought this was just terrific oh it was, yeah for the eight pages alone it was yeah. worth the price of admission yeah. yeah and i think the words you're looking for is like the contrast between the happy 1950s leave it to beaver setting with the world around them on the outside is is part of what makes the story so interesting is again inside it's it's happy it's the childhood we all wanted or childhood we, well rob didn't have that childhood but the rest of us did you know it's it's the happy family holiday season so it works really really well and, and i said before this really is a sequel to the justice league action episode and once i figured out paul dini wrote both it makes perfect sense i mean there's so many threads from that to here where they're calling him sparky in this story and that started in the justice league action story uh there's this whole thing where um the nuclear family's trying to create a home for themselves in a radioactive danger zone same thing in the other story the, the, the cartoon firestorm unconscious uh, with Ronnie and the Professor having a chat in the mental plane of existence, that happened too. It's interesting because in the cartoon, you actually see when 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 Ronnie's unconscious and, and he's inside Professor Stein's head, you actually see Professor Stein's setting. You never see that in the normal comics. You know, you only see Stein's floating head, right? But in the cartoon, you saw Stein's whole setting. Well, you get to see his whole setting here too, which is a nice connect connective tissue. But I love that they're like in this posh, you know, library with a bunch of books and overstuffed chairs, which was great. And then the nuclear family using Firestorm as a power source again. A Another trope from Justice League Action. And connecting Firestorm with the nuclear family is just a lovely connection that I can't believe no one thought of before. Yeah, really. You got their, just got the word right there in both characters. Right. <laughs> they never, they have never met in the comics until now, which is so wild. 
Now, you talked about the home that they built here. Uh, I, I love this because this is, you know, it's Disney World or Disneyland. It is clearly the Carousel of Progress is what this is supposed to be. I don't know if you – did you ever go on that ride at Disney? I don't remember. I've been there twice. I don't remember. I think we did. I think we did go on Okay. Well, I refer to it with my kids as the air conditioning break uh, because you sit down for about 30 minutes in an air-conditioned room uh, in Florida in the middle of the summer, which is what makes it worth it. But I, I love the Carousel of Progress. It starts off with like a home in the 40s, and then it's like the 60s, and then the 70s, and then you see uh, Yes, the now I remember that. Yes, yeah. I did. We did go on that. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a rotating theater, basically, yeah. And so the, the, the concept here is that they have taken up residence in the Carousel of, uh, of Progress, and they're living in the future home is the idea behind it, which is great. Uh, th- you mentioned the humor. There's some pretty funny bits in here, and most of it's Dad who has the funny lines. When he like pulls when up he... his sweater and reveals his like <sighs> his uh, his Steve Austin chest right. plate, and Firestorm's like, "Ew, gross!" I thought that was great. Well, no, the gross part was he said, Dad says there's no little blue pill to juice up this Tin Man's mainspring. <laughs> Oh my God! He he made a Viagra joke. It's like wow, I can't believe that. And then um, you know when Firestorm shows up, they're like, "What's that bright light?" And Dad says, uh, "You know, is is it Rudolph?" And he goes, "No, but you would say you would say he even glows." I mean, he's making funny jokes about Firestorm. I love Dad's sense of humor. It's hilarious. Uh, let's see. Uh, a couple other things where I love that they acknowledge Professor Stein is Jewish. That guy always makes me happy when they when they take the time to remind us of that because sometimes it just gets forgotten and you're telling a holiday story. It should get acknowledged. And also, interesting, so when they're on the mental plane, I already talked about it a little bit, but when they're on the mental plane, it's Professor Stein sitting in one chair and it's Firestorm sitting in the other one. It's not Ronnie. It's Firestorm, which mm. is interesting because – you get the sense, because this is decades after the nuclear wars, you get the sense that they've probably been Firestorm for decades. I don't think they have separated. You get the sense that they that they didn't separate into Ronnie and Professor Stein anymore. They just stay this way, I think. That's kind of what's – it's not said, but it is implied. So I wonder, after all these decades, does Ronnie just see himself as Firestorm now? Or the alternative is it could just be taking up the, the, the tactic from the Nuclear Family Values animated series uh, episode where they where Firestorm was in Professor Stein's head. It could just be as simple, as simple as that. But uh, I don't know. Uh, well, we're assuming that uh, – well, we don't know that this Firestorm story takes place three years after the way the no, Aquaman does? No, it says decades. It does starts it say off, decades? Okay. Yeah, the very first thing says uh, decades from now. Okay, all right. Well, I'm assuming they stay in Firestorm because if they split into regular people, they would die of radiation poisoning, I, right? I think you're exactly right. Yeah. So, um, and I do love that Professor Stein points out something that I've, I've known my whole life, but I haven't been able to articulate is that Ronnie's greatest strengths are his head and his heart. So, uh, I, 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 I love that Paul was able to sum that up and that, that absolutely is Ronnie. Now he doesn't always use his head and it's not always, <laughs> maybe not to his advantage when he does stupid stuff like go, um, you know, pick at an atomic power plant being powered up. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I like that summation of Ronnie. It's very nice. I love the use of the uh, Christmas cookies as the thing that gets him out of that jam. Like he, right. like even though this this woman is a robot, it still has some sort of like uh, a behavior mod- modifier that makes you makes her fall for this. You know, you think <laughs> an android would just be like, no, but they're so programmed to act like quote unquote sub- suburban fifties family that you know you're so sweet, take all you like, and then it's the cookies that use. It. And I like the trussing them up in the Christmas lights, which you know, using something festive as a as a, a way of you know keeping someone imprisoned is, right. is a fun it's it's all taking uh, images from americana and tweaking them to make them disturbing and creepy uh which well, is great 
Well, take it one step further. They're powering him up with the Christmas lights, but the way they're sending their electricity into him, they all have this headgear on. Yeah. It looks like antlers, and it's like glowing as they sh- as they charge f- uh, Firestorm up. It cracks me up. Yeah. It's so funny. I love the the uh, coloring is really nice too. I think this is like a beautifully colored looking that that shot of of Biff where he says, "What a dump! What a dummy! He forgot to uh, he forgot she forgot to bake them." There's the, the lighting on his face is creepy. Yeah, and he's got this like that rictus grin on his face, which is again is sort of upsetting. So yeah, I I really there to me there is no aspect of the story that didn't work. Yeah, I totally agree. I love the adjustments to Firestorm's costume as well. So, uh, quick thing about the the nuclear family, we do owe a thank debt of gratitude, uh, gr- debt of gratitude to uh, Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo, of course, for their creation of the nuclear family in the Outsiders, a book that has taken some heat from our network over the years. But I think both you and I are, are kind of fans of Batman and the Outsiders. I, I'm, I'm a full on fan. I am yep. a unreserved fan. <laughs> I don't care how much Siskoid makes fun of me. I love <laughs> Batman and the Outsiders. It took me a while to get there, but I'm definitely there now. But I didn't know if you knew this or not. Check this out. So the nuclear family has actually been on the Titans uh, show, the DC show that they're doing on their app. And they are creepy as hell. Let me tell you. Huh. Um, we don't know if they're robots or not. I, mean, I don't. It doesn't appear that they're robots. It appears that they're just brainwashed humans. Um, but dude, they are creepy and they are super violent, like crazy super. Violent. And they still have like that that suburban kind of like family aspect to them. But man, when they're fighting and they're attacking, oh, they are brutal. Oh my gosh! So they've really ramped that up and made it super creepy. I would never expected that the nuclear family would <laughs> transfer to live action. I know, I know. The world we live in, insane. So, well, that's all. That's all we really got for this episode. It's just we wanted to take a second to celebrate a little, or a little early the holidays and celebrate this firestorm story. We haven't had a lot of opportunities to do that lately, and so this makes us very, very happy. Oh yeah, there's an Aquaman story too, but whatever. It's really about the firestorm story. Um, well, it's nice for for there to be an Aquaman Firestorm comic out. I mean, that's yes. what the show is, of course. But, but yeah, I was as I said I I don't mean to be too negative on the Aquaman thing. I just thought it was fine. But the Firestorm one is a winner. Like I would, it, I would if they ever did like a Firestorm's greatest stories hardcover. I'd like to me this you got to slot this one in there. And it's only eight pages. You think about how much Paul Dini and Jerry Ward we cram into this story in just eight pages like that's it's oh my god it's it's remarkable i you know the and i feel like it's cuz paul paul dini is comes from kind of an older tradition of of writing comics i think he knew how to put a lot in in a short space so i don't know i just thought this was terrific i heard a great interview on word balloon this is many years ago but with marty pascal and he was talking about getting into the writing and the comic book industry and things like that and he basically said when you broke in you were given like an eight page backup back then and like you know maybe a, a tales of the unexpected or something you right. know not, yep. you know whatever and he said you know because part of the reason they give you that is just to try it out without too much risk the other side is it's really really hard to write a shorter story than it is a longer story because you've got to boil down the elements you've got to get a beginning a middle and an end all done in eight pages and it ta- and that really really helps hone your craft when you can do that and uh, this is a perfect example of someone who really has honed his craft. So, and uh, you know, it, it, it reminds me of how much we loved that Nuclear Family Values episode. I mean, we went on and on and on about it. And uh, this, you know, if they could do like a DVD of that episode with a comic book of this one together in one package, that'd be an awesome little Christmas present, wouldn't it? That would be cool. We did. We I loved every episode I've seen of Justice League action so far. 
So much fun. So much fun. All right, folks. Well, uh, from myself uh, and Rob, we'd like to wish you a very happy holidays. We hope you enjoy whatever you might be celebrating at the end of this year. And I uh, hope that it, it, it brings a nice close to 2018 and a nice start for 2019 for you. There are more shows coming, of course. We're acting like this is our last show of 2018, but it's not. We have a couple other kind of big things coming up. True, true. But, you know, it's, a, it's the kickoff of the holiday season. Do you want to tell people what's coming, or do we want to let well, it be a surprise? we're going to be doing our Aquaman movie review. What? A There's a shortly. movie? Yeah, as you, far as what? I know, yeah. yeah. I hadn't heard about this. And did you know that Firestorm's on a weekly TV series? <laughs> if I get in my time machine, yes, he is. <laughs> In fact, he was on two. T- he was on two weekly TV series, uh, Justice League Action and Legends of Tomorrow, and neither one anymore. I, I think you know. I don't. I don't know what they're doing, but I mean, I feel like DC should just give Paul Dini and Gerard Way a Firestorm book. Like, oh just do God. this. Oh, that would be amazing. So, well, we can tease a few more things. Uh, we do have. Uh, we promised, and so I, I think it's fair enough to tell everyone we're, we're planning a digest cast, a holiday season digest cast. That's right. You folks at home, uh, if all goes well, there hopefully will be a JLI episode for the end of the year. That, that might happen. And then uh, there might be something else about, you know, celebrating the end of the year as well. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see how the recording goes after this. That's right. <laughs> In fact, we got to hang up now and go do the other one, folks. So thanks again for coming, folks. We sincerely appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you so much for all the years you've been listening. We know you're all actually Firestorm fans and not Aquaman fans, and you just suffer through all the, the water nonsense. And we sincerely appreciate it. We really do. Y'all are troopers. Let's wrap it up. Okay. All right, folks. With that, uh, please go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go out to the Shows tab and go to Aquaman and Firestorm. Leave your comments on the show post. Let us know what you thought of this special and what you thought of the Paul Dini and uh, Jerry Ordway story, as well as the Aquaman story. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, Fire and Water Podcast. You can find Rob on every other Twitter account that's out there. And you can find me a Firestorm fan. And uh, I think that's going to do it. So until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land in air Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. And cover. Be sure and remember what Bert the Turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. Duck and cover. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb, duck and cover. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do. Duck and cover. First, you duck. Then, you cover. You duck and cover tight. Duck and cover under the table. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you. And you. And you. Duck and cover.